So, uh, we're going to have some verses up on the screen. Actually, the whole chapter 8 of Hebrews. So, it's what I have you turn to chapter 8 of Hebrews. There's 13 verses. Um, we've been going through this book now for a while, and we're learning about the, uh, how the Old Testament was a reflection of what Jesus would be when he actually came in person. And some of the things that we've read about in, up to this point, and some of the words that are used is that he was a figure or a shadow of things to come. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, when you heard and when they took a lamb to be offered as a sacrifice for the sins of of the of the of the nation of Israel, well, the lamb is a representative of the ultimate sacrifice that John the Baptist recognized when he said, "I'm the uh, the lamb," uh, or saw Jesus and said, "There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Recognize him as our sacrifice. So all those Old Testament things that we see, for instance, in the holy place there was a there was a there was a lampstand, and a lampstand was uh, obviously to shine light. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, "I'm the light of the world." So those those are things that were used in the Old Testament to reflect in the New Testament who Jesus would be. So there, now we're looking at Jesus as. Um, and you see there, a high priest of a better covenant. So with Jesus, we have a high priest. What's the role of the high priest? Well, he's a mediator between God and man. He's the one that connects a holy God with sinful humanity, right? He's the bridge, if you would, between God and man. He's our advocate. He speaks for us. He's our representative, uh, in the Spanish, it uses the word abogado. He's our defense lawyer in the courts of heaven. So we can approach the Father through Jesus, okay? So, I don't know, maybe, for instance, um, you would find uh, the need to be able to speak to a judge, but you would need to go through a lawyer and through the court system, okay? So there's a legal part to this. And then we have rights as citizens of heaven, we have the right to approach the Father. We have the right to come to Him with our needs. We come to have a right to ask of Him, whether it be for uh, any of our uh, burdens that we might be carrying or illness or for a family member or for ourselves in some way, finances. So we have someone who's waiting for us to talk to Him, and it's Jesus Christ. So what I want to do then is I'm going to look at this. We're going to read this... Uh, First little section right here, and then I'll, I'll get on to the rest when we get to it, okay? So I'm going to have you stand with me. I think I have up there the first five verses of Hebrews chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, maybe you want to peek at it. It's going to be up here too, Hebrews chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can look at it, uh, or up here. And then we'll just kind of develop some thoughts out of this chapter. This is now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent or tabernacle, 
that the Lord set up, not man. The true tent here could also be a reflection of temple. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve, here we go, this is what I was mentioning, they serve a copy, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And we're just going to kind of stop right there so we can kind of develop this from this point. Amen. Let's pray for the sermon this morning. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for your word. Thank you again for this time so we can uh, spend with you and learn and grow in our understanding of who you are and who we are and the rights and the privileges and the blessings that we have because we belong to you. You, we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to you. And Father, you care about us and you love us. And you have already set up this, this total plan from before the foundation of the earth of salvation for us. And then what you require of us, Lord, is for us to accept it by faith. To understand it, but then to apply it to our lives. And to live in a way in which uh, you designed us to live, Lord. And that is in your presence and with your blessing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, well, go ahead and have a seat. Let's look at this first section. And uh, we're uh, here in Hebrews chapter 8, if you want to look at it in the Bible. But it's going to be up on the screen. So these are the first five verses of Hebrew chapter 8. I like how it starts. He says, now the point in... What we are saying is this. So this is one of the things that uh, um, I think is important. If you really take time to, to study God's word, you'll see that the authors, as they were inspired by God, will reach a point in what they're writing, these letters and these, right? He, this is what these are. These are letters. This is the letter to the Hebrews. He's going to say, hey, so um, you guys get the point? This is what he's doing here. Uh, let me summarize. Let's look at this again. So I've said all this to reach this point. Right? So God wants us to know about his will and his purposes. He wants to reveal himself to us and his plan. He's not leaving us in the dark. If there's someone in the dark because they haven't been earnestly seeking after the things of the Lord. If you want to learn something or know something, you're going to spend time researching and studying it. I, hey, I, I'm right now, I'm kind of trying to figure out if I can do my taxes by myself because I talked to my tax preparer and they want a ton of money now because of inflation. One guy quoted me like $850 to do my taxes. I'm like, what? I just go buy the tax app and, and do it on my computer. But I have to sit back and ask myself, there's a couple things that I have, that, things that are a little bit different in my income. And so I have to go out and read about it and study. Otherwise, I wouldn't know anything, right? We can't expect to know things without at least an interest or a desire. And so at this point, the author is saying, now the point in what we are saying is this. 
So I want you guys to get the point. Now we're eight chapters in. So he's kind of summarizing what he's been talking about for eight chapters. So this is the short version, if you will. What is the point? He's speaking to believers. What is the point? We have such a high priest. I like how they threw the word in such. Not just that we have a high priest. We have such a high priest. Like emphasizing the greatness of this high priest we have. This advocate. This mediator. This representative of ours. This lawyer, defense lawyer we have. Right? This high priest. We have such a high priest. And, and where is he? It says here, one who is seated. And I want you to underline if you're one of those that likes to underline and highlight. That's the key word here. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of God. Now remember, what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's comparing Jesus, this great high priest we have, to the Old Testament priests. He's trying to convince this group of Hebrews, these are Israeli Jewish believers, who just can't seem to leave the old temple and the old religion and the old covenant. They just kind of like want to go back to something that's inferior. When the author is trying to convince them, we have something superior. I give an example of that. You would not trip over a $100 bill to pick up a nickel, would you? In other words, you trip over the $100 bill, leave it behind to go get a nickel. Why would you go to something less? Where would you go, we're going to see here, to something that didn't work? It was a failed system. Not because what was demanded by the law was bad. It's just that we couldn't keep it. And by not keeping it, we find ourselves condemned before God. You see the dilemma? And they're thinking, let's go back to the old ways. No, no, let's go forward to a new promise, to a new agreement that God has made with man through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our contract. He's our guarantee. We go to him and accept what he did for us at the cross, and everything is all right with the Father. He did it for us. We don't have to do anything except receive it by faith. It's a gift. Do you pay for a gift? No, a gift is something you receive freely. Now, even though salvation is a free gift, it wasn't cheap. What did it cost? It cost the life of the Son of God, Jesus. So never think that, oh man, that Christianity stuff, that, that's such an easy thing. All I got to do is believe. Hey, it's not easy believing. Right? Because in order to believe something, you have to have confidence in it. You have to, you, I would hope that you would want to trust that it's true, and I would hope that you would want to look further or deeper into it to make sure it's genuine, that you're not just believing a lie. Correct? So believe, and then you're going to have, by believing, it's not just something you have in your head, oh, I just believe. No, it's something you're going to act on. The, the issue with believing something is that then you have to practice it. 
If you don't actually do it, what you say you believe, you don't really believe it. See, because faith is action. It's always accompanied by action. Hey, uh, God said to Abraham, Hey, Abraham, I want you to go to this promised land. I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you I'm going to bless all the nations. What of your descendants? I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. But I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, this city, up in uh, what would be today Iraq. I want you to go down to this land that I'm going to show you. I haven't shown it to you yet. I'm going to show it to you. So what does he have to do? Well, he thinks about it, but doesn't he, is he, if he doesn't start walking, is that faith? It says he went, in Hebrews 11, which we'll get to in a couple more weeks, he went where he did not know he was going. He was trusting God, and he started walking. Faith in the Christian context is action. We believe what God says, and therefore we do it. We trust him. That's the key. It's impossible to live without faith in this life. Do you have faith? Those of you that drive, that when somebody or you come upon an intersection and their side is obviously red because yours is green, do you have faith to go through it without even thinking that maybe the other person's not going to observe the red light? And here we are, we're putting our lives at risk, just going right through the intersection like nothing. That's faith. Do people always stop at intersections? No, because they're people. Do people always follow or observe the rules of the road? No, because they're people. Does God always follow His word and His promises and His Things that he says he'll bless us with? Yeah. He never fails. So you have to decide. What am I going to trust? Oh, what about your brakes, for instance, on your car? You know, you're going fast. All of a sudden, I don't know, something appears. Do you even think, like, uh, I'm going to go ahead and push the brakes now, but I wonder if they work. No, you just push them because you believe that they're going to be working. Do they always work? Do brakes always work on trucks? They don't? My goodness. Why not? Because it's something made by man. But what about something made by God? If God is who he says he is, could he fail? Then you better pick a better God if you can. That's the point I'm reaching at. They can't do, you know, when, I, who here mails letters anymore, puts stamps and addresses on a letter or sends something through snail mail? Anybody? Oh, good. There's one person. Oh, also Emily. I, I just did one recently. I had to send something to, to the uh, California pension. I wanted to make some changes. They won't let you do it online. You have to actually sign and indicate that you do it and send it in. And I remember I had one go look at a an, drawer and try to find a stamp. Why do I need a stamp? Because the way the postal system works is that you, by having a stamp, I got one of those forever stamps, so I bought it like years ago and still worth whatever it costs to send a letter. And I put the address on it. I put the stamp on it, put my return address on it, and I actually went and stuck it in a mailbox. 
What am I doing by doing all that? I'm saying I trust the postal system. Do I actually get in, sit there and wait for the mailman and watch him take it? And do I follow him in my car? And then, he goes, oh, he goes into the post office and I'm sneaking around, looking back in the back door in the room back there. Oh, and he put it in that certain bag. And then I follow the trucks that are going to take it to the airport. They're going to fly it over to New York. Do I get on an airplane and follow it and then see that it gets in the box? No, I just trust when I drop it in the box here it's going to arrive there, and I don't think about it anymore. Well, that's faith. We trust our institutions. Well, God is saying, I want you to trust me. Okay, I do. That makes you a Christian. These guys weren't trusting that Jesus was enough, the, the Hebrew Christians. They were kind of wanting and leaning toward going back to the old system, that little did they know that the Jerusalem, as the temple still was in existence, little did they know that Jerusalem would be ransacked by Titus in the year 70 AD and has not existed till today. So that old system of going to the temple and offering sacrifices and there being priests in there, it doesn't exist, but they didn't even know that it wouldn't exist. And they were wanting to go back to something that God says, I'm done with that. We now have our promises. We now have a better covenant because we have a better, what's a covenant? It's a better agreement, a better contract with God. We have it now in my son, Jesus Christ, and in the New Testament. Have we got it at this point after eight chapters? Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any man. Jesus is better than any religion. Jesus is better than any institution. Jesus is better because Jesus is our only hope to have access to God the Father because he went and died for our sins. He was sent by the Father. So you say, well, how did you get all that out of verse 1? I'll tell you. The question here is, now the point in what we are saying is, as you see there, we have such a high priest, we have this advocate, we have this lawyer, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Where is he seated? He's at the right hand of the Father in his throne in heaven. Why is he seated? I'll get to that. But let me tell you this. No Old Testament priest ever did this. What? Ever did what? What's the word I told you to underline? Seated. No Old Testament priest ever sat down. Oh, I'm so glad I'm done with my sermon. I'm so tired of standing up. Ah. All right, you guys can go home. I'm done. Whew, this is a tough crowd. Help me, Jesus. They don't even smile. What did I do? Why did I sit, supposedly? Because I was done. I'm done. The reason Jesus sat at the right hand of the throne is because the work of salvation and redemption was done. Okay, let me go through this. No Old Testament priest could sit down. Ever. None has ever sat at the right hand of the Father. 
because their system failed and it was canceled and it was replaced by Jesus the one who it always reflected anyway so no Old Testament priest ever sat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and this particular verse is a contrast showing us that the priests in the Old Testament continually served there was beautiful furniture in the temple made by these artisans all these furnishings but guess there wasn't a, guess what there wasn't in the temple anywhere to sit why because the idea of the old testament was that man's sins and man's needs need to be continually worked on by other men who were priests who had sins of their own and it never finished their work never finished but here comes jesus and what does he do after he finishes his work? He ascends into heaven and he sits down. Why? Because the sacrifice for the sins of the world is finished. That's awesome. See, the author is reflecting on the fact that Jesus came to this world and died. And everything has been fulfilled. This means that we don't need to wonder if we're doing enough to merit or earn our salvation. I don't know if that went right past you. Because Jesus sat after having ascended into heaven, after having resurrected from the dead, after having gone to the cross to die for our sins. After coming into this world, born into this world, the Son of God, having completed His ministry, He sits down. And guess what? Because He sat down, it tells us everything that needed to be done for our salvation was completed. So you don't have to wonder if you're doing enough to be saved. Because he did it all for us. Okay? You don't have to go, hmm. I wonder if I got enough points to get into heaven. Hmm. I wonder what I'm gonna what, what am I gonna say when I get to the pearly gates so that I might enter? Nothing you can say except when asked, not that that would happen that way, but you know how we like to t talk about like maybe what I would say when I get to heaven kind of thing. You say, I know your son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior and Lord of my life. Oh, come on in. That's the password. I had a terrible experience with my Minimac, an Apple product I bought. I forgot the password. I couldn't get into my own computer. Has anybody here lost the password to your phone or something? Now, here's the weird part. I have a Google phone, and I have a Chromebook, which is all Android-based. The only thing that's Apple-based is my computer, because I kind of like, like how fast they are and reliable. I couldn't get in it, so I kept putting in the password, and it kept saying wrong password. And then all of a sudden, it, I, put it, I think I'm going to put the old one back in, in wrong password. I couldn't get in. But because I tried so many times, it kept saying, you can now attempt in one day. I'm like, oh gosh, I got to wait a day. 
And I kept trying and doing all kinds of stuff. And then finally it says, you have to wait 12 days before we give you a link to get your new password set. See, I have no access because I didn't know the password. That's called security. They got pretty good security, actually impressed that if someone actually tried to hack my computer, guess what? They won't be able to, I think, because I can't even get into it, and it's mine. Well, here's the point I'm trying to make. Without the right password, you can't get into heaven. What's the password? The finished work of Jesus Christ accepted by you. Have you received him into your heart? Have you accepted him as your savior? Have you gone to him and asked for forgiveness? Have you bowed your knee and said, I'm sorry, I turn from my sins? You know what the Bible says he will do? He'll receive you. He says that he'll accept you. Always. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to clean us or from all iniquity. We can stand before God guiltless. How? Not by anything you can do, but because he sat down at the right hand of the throne in heaven. And he sat down because he had finished the work of redemption at Calvary's cross. And when he was on the cross, remember and write this down if you want to take notes. John 19.30 said that Jesus spoke these words, it is finished. What does that mean? The word literally in the Greek is telestai, which uh, I only know because I've heard it so many times. But it means paid in full. Paid in full. What's paid in full? Your debt. What debt? The debt that we had because of our sins with the Father. They've been wiped away. They've been erased. They've been removed. They've been canceled. They've been forever eliminated by Jesus at the cross when he said it is finished. That's why he sat down. Because he had risen from the dead and he was victorious over death. And what's the big deal about that? Well, he took the death that we deserved upon himself. He took the sins that we deserved on himself. He absorbed them in his body. So it was a great exchange that took place. The innocent one, Jesus, the just one, took the guilt of the guilty. And the guilty, if they accept what he did for them, walk away free. We walk away without condemnation. We walk away guiltless. We walk away without shame. Why? Not because of anything you did, but because of what he did. Deal. The reason he resurrected and the reason the Father raised him because he was putting a stamp of approval of what he did for us. He was saying, you are now justified because I approve this commercial to go with the politicians, right? You get these political campaigns now and you got some guy up there saying, I approve this message. Well, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, it was the Father saying, I approve his death. It's enough. It's enough. We'll never need anything else. Because he sat down. So what does he ask of us? 
now that he's done all the work. I had, we had a guy here once, uh, him and his family. You guys remember uh, Domingo? <laughs> he was cool. He always used to go over there to the fellowship hall and drink coffee. And he'd always say, oh, man, this is the best tasting coffee. And we'd all go, well, what are you trying? Why? Because it's free. Well, it wasn't free. It was free for him. But it costs somebody something. But doesn't it, isn't it wonderful? Be, that's the kind of coffee I like to drink too. Why is salvation the good news? Because it's free. And what's, why is it good news? Because on the other side of the coin is the bad news. The penalty of sin is death. So one helps understand the other. The good news is that someone else paid for the coffee. Someone else paid off our debt. The bad news is we, can't, we have a debt and we can't pay it. The bad news is that we're bankrupt and have no way and no power and no resources to be able to pay for it. Hey, does anybody here want to take me out for lunch? I'm, on, I'm in. I like free. There's a place over here at Renaissance that they make some pho. Oof. Eric and I have gone there. What am I trying to get at? I really want you to understand the simplicity of what he's saying here. It's not complicated. He's saying Jesus is a better covenant. He's a better mediator. He's a better advocate for us. Because he sat down. And what does he ask of us? Only that we accept what he did for us by faith. Because nothing can be added to what he did, and nothing could ever be removed. What's he doing? Now, this is going to be bad. He's, I'm now at verse 2. <laughs> I got to move pretty fast, I think. He's a minister in the holy places. Well, the only one that can go into a holy place is a holy man. A, a, a man that's righteous, and that's Christ. In the true tent or tabernacle, when it talks about tent, it's looking back to the Old Testament tabernacle in the desert when they came out of Egypt, when God saved them out of the house of slavery, and they were now in the, the wilderness. God asked Moses and Aaron to build a tabernacle, which was a, uh, a portable temple. They could move. Their objective was to go into the promised land, but they messed up, so they had to wait 40 years while all of those above the age of 20 uh, would die without ever having to go in because they didn't believe. The younger ones from 20 below would go in. This tabernacle, it had uh, an artisan who built the Ark of the Covenant. He built the, uh, the lampstand. He built all those beautiful things and those furniture that was in there. But that was made by man. It says here, a minister, Jesus is a minister in the holy places, in the true tent. Not that the Lord set up, not man. In heaven, there's a temple where Jesus sits right now. And it wasn't made by man. It was like the Old Testament. 
It was made by Jesus. Jesus is the one who serves in the temple in heaven. Jesus is the architect of that temple, not man. Do you see there's a difference? He went there. Verses 3 and 4 of Ferdinand it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Referring to Jesus. Now, if he were on earth, Jesus, the author is saying if he were on earth, but he's not on earth. Where is he? He's in heaven. He would not be a priest at all. Well, we found out the reason for that is that he wasn't of the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. So he couldn't even have been a priest on earth. But there were already priests at that moment in history. There were still priests. The temple still was standing there. Right? So now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. The, the question would be is, if there's someone already doing something, okay, I'll just put it this way. If there's, a, if there's already a teacher in the classroom teaching, why do you need a sub? You don't. Get it? So Jesus did not come to be a priest here, but he's a priest there in heaven, in a better one. Okay? And he goes on to say here, in uh, this verses 3 and 4, he goes on to say, uh, verse 5 actually, they, the priests of the Old Testament, serve a copy of, and shadow of the heavenly things. So all those things in the Old Testament were simply figures of what was coming. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. See, Moses was told by God, make sure the tabernacle is precisely according to the pattern that I'm going to give you because the pattern on earth is going to reflect the true tabernacle in heaven. Why do we need a pattern on earth? So that we can understand God. So just as those priests would go in to the holy of holy places once a year to offer sacrifice for the Israel, that was pointing to a picture that there would one day come a lamb that God would send, a sacrifice, if you will, that John the Baptist identified, and he would then once and forever pay for the sins of the world. Otherwise, we don't understand, but God wants us to understand. So everything in the Old Testament was simply a copy or a reflection, shadow, of the superior heavenly service of our great high priest, Jesus. Believe me, you can go to him and he'll hear you. You can bring him all of your burdens, all of your concerns, all of your needs. And he's compassionate. First and foremost, when we go to someone, we'd like to know that they're listening, wouldn't we? Well, that's all he's doing in heaven right now. He's ever interceding for us. And then we'd like to know, you can try it out with a friend. How I many of you have had an issue or someone you wanted to go to talk to for whatever reason, and you couldn't get to them, couldn't find them? They were busy. Man, I really need to talk to Joe. I got a real good friend named Joe. Yeah, I'd love to talk to him right now. And I call him and he's working. And I leave him a message, hey, you know, call me Joe. I need to talk to you, bro. 
We, all, we understand that part of life, don't we? Someone to talk to. Someone to sound off, uh, uh, a sounding board. And, th and they're not available. But Jesus is available because he ever lives to intercede on our behalf. But not only that, Jesus is compassionate so that when we are talking to him, he understands us because he himself suffered. He suffered like no man ever has suffered in the passion Especially that last day before he, wrote, he went to the cross. So you think you could go to him and tell him, hey, uh, Lord, man, uh, you know, not that you would say, hey, Lord, man, but you know what I mean. I'm trying to be casual. You could go to him comfortably and confidently say, hey, Lord, wow, it's a rough day. And you would hear a voice say, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about because I also suffered you know, Lord, I just need to like kind of hash some things out with you. Okay. And he'll listen. But that's all good too. I mean, he's available. He's compassionate. And we might have a friend that's available and compassionate. But then at the end of the day, there isn't anything they can do about my problem. Because I need to pay a million dollars by tomorrow. Or I lose my house. I mean, I'm just trying to make it. There's something there that is just beyond your friend's ability. They're there. They'll listen. But at this high priest, this advocate, this one that loves us, who say, hey, I also have the power to do something about it. Because with God, there is nothing, what? Impossible. That's who we serve. I'm presenting to you the Jesus of this Bible. With him, there's nothing impossible. Take it to him. Lay it at his feet. And keep asking. You have not because you ask not. Most of the time, maybe the reason we don't hear the answer to our prayers is because we don't ask. Try it. Genuinely. Lay it all down at his feet. Everything. I like to say, the good, the bad, and the ugly, just in case the good and the bad didn't describe what you're doing or what you need. Lay it all down at his feet. I say sometimes, you know, we're, we're a little, sometimes silly, and we, we, sometimes we act and we want to believe or have a sense that maybe we're uh, doing something right because we, we, we get a little bit religious sometimes and we're like, we're going to go to the Father and we say, oh, precious Heavenly Father in the heaven, creator of the universe and, and, uh, and you know, the all-powerful one and lover of my soul and it's like going to your, you know, dad and saying, oh, dad, Husband to my mother. Apple of the eye of your employer. Driver of the family car. The big toe on my right foot hurts. It's like, just get to it. He knows who he is. Just go to him and tell him whatever it is. If it's the big toe on the right foot... Those of you that have been here with me a while, I know you're bored because I've said that one before. But I sure do mean it. 
We have a great high priest. He loves us. We need to pray more. We're living in difficult times. Things are difficult. We have an election coming up. It's going to be divisive by design. We need, we're, we need to be united, not divided as a nation, but especially as a church. We need to know who we trust because the economy and there are people who are struggling. Groceries are high, gas prices, well, they've come down a little bit. Not enough. I'm just saying there's a lot of things going on. We need him. We need him, Christ. He's the one that we can go to. So, can I just go a minute more? Let me finish with verse 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ, referring to Jesus, of course, Messiah, has obtained a ministry. In other words, right now, he ministers, he serves. That is as much more excellent. Whatever Jesus does, I want you to know is excellent. It's not half-baked, not half-complete. It's not done without any motivation to do it right. It's more excellent. See that in verse 6 up there? You see that? Is that up there? I don't think I'm at, I got verse 6. It's the next one. There. Jesus has obtained a ministry, a service that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. So his ministry is what? Excellent and better. And then it goes on to say, since it is enacted on better promises, referring to the New Testament covenant that God has made with us in Christ. For if the first covenant, the Old Testament, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Let me just finish with this. I really wanted to get this because we're so close to the Super Bowl. Now, I know not everybody here cares about football, but did anybody watch it? Okay, read about it. Do you know who won? The Chiefs. Okay, so let me just say this. Jesus' ministry right now as our great high priest is excellent, according to what we read in verse 6. It's better than the old one because it's on better promises. Because the first one, had it been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So after winning the Super Bowl, the owner of the Chiefs, it's a Hunt family, the ketchup company, he isn't going to fire the coaches or the coordinators because once you win the championship, you showed your good enough and sufficient enough, and you get to stay with the team. But the other team, the 49ers, guess what they did? Because they lost. They fired or they canned their offensive coordinator because they didn't score enough points, and they lost. They fired them. Right? Why? Because he didn't do it well enough. Because the team didn't win. And his job wasn't satisfactory because his job was to make sure that they had more points than the other team. I know it's very elementary here, but I want to get to a point. The, the author of Hebrews is saying, if the first covenant, the old, had been faultless, there's no reason or no occasion to look for another one. That means that the old covenant, the Old Testament, wasn't sufficient. 
The Levitical priesthood never could say it is finished. The Levitical priesthood or high priest of the Old Testament could never say that he's sitting on the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's a man and he dies and then a new one comes in, right? So Jesus' ministry is far better. Guess why? Because he literally won the championship when he rose from the dead. There's no one better. He's victorious over our enemy death. And we, when we trust in him, have the promise that we too, like him, will rise in new glorified bodies and live with him forever in eternity. That's the big picture. And that's where I'll end today. And we'll talk more about what follows after this next week. So let's pray for the sermon. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you. Help us, Father, to see that Jesus is all we need. We don't need anything else. But we do need the childlike faith. That faith that doesn't doubt. That faith, Lord, that trusts. That's based on confidence. That's based on love. That's based on facts. But simple. Not complicated. It's a, it's a relationship with someone who is better. Someone who is excellent. Someone who will never fail us. Someone who will never leave us nor forsake us. Help us to draw near to Him. Help us to walk closer to Him. And we will see our lives strengthened. We'll see our lives directed and the right path that you have for us. The right path that you have for us as a church, that is, collectively as we come here, but also the right path for us individually and personally and the right path for our families. A path full of blessings. And in spite of the difficulties and the trials, path where we have peace because we know you're with us and we have joy because we have a better hope and confidence because you said you never leave us. We thank you, Father, for teaching us and showing us more of who you are today. Help us to take what we've learned, not just gather information and know more facts, but to apply it to our lives in actions. And we just give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.